Hello, everyone, and welcome to the In Squash podcast, episode 16, and I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. Today's guest uh, has a, an incredible story, uh, a different one that we've uh, heard in the previous uh, 15 episodes. Uh, squash player, squash pro. Um, he was a pro at the uh, Salt Lake City Squash Works uh, facility, and uh, but he parlayed that into an attempt to represent Colombia as a cross-country ski, a cross-country skier. Uh, he had a vision of uh, getting to the 2006 Olympics, but it took him um, to 2018 to reach his goal. But he did, and he became uh, becoming the first. Uh, Colombian cross-country ski representative in their history. Uh, Sebastian Uprimi is our guest today, and uh, an incredible story he has, that's for sure. Um, as we all know, squash is, uh, has struggled in its uh, desperate attempt to uh, get inclusion into the Olympic Games, and uh, the Tokyo uh, Olympic bid failed as well. However, uh, we keep on fighting, we keep on persevering, and we will uh, gain entry into the Olympics. It, it's just got to happen because half of these uh, sports that are getting in, just uh, they don't hold uh, anything up to, uh, to squash as a sport. So um, anyways, Sebastian's story is a, is a great one. Uh, he took on uh, what, we, what you would think would be a insurmountable task of uh, attempting to become an Olympic athlete in his uh, late 30s. He persevered and uh, he managed to do it. So he tells us his story, how it started, how it gained momentum, how he managed to get there, and then uh, quite a few good stories and anecdotes about his uh, squash coaching days and playing days in, in the U.S. So I hope you all enjoy this podcast. It's a little bit outside the box, but uh, definitely uh, inspirational. Sebastian Uprimi, episode 16. Okay, uh, welcome to uh, episode uh, 16 of uh, the In Squash podcast. And today uh, we have a, a very special guest. Uh, you might want to say he's uh, Squash's first uh, Olympic participant, although it's not in squash uh, yet. It's uh, cross-country skiing. Uh, Colombia's first ever Olympic uh, cross-country ski representative. He represented Colombia at the 2018 Pyeongchang uh, Olympics in uh, South Korea. And a former squash professional himself, uh, Sebastian Uprimni. Uh, thank you so much, Sebastian, for coming on to the podcast today. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me here. And it's, it's exciting to share my, my journey and, and uh, uh, what I what I lived over the last months in Pyeongchang and before in, when I used to play squash. Awesome. Well, uh, it's, uh, yeah, your journey has been incredible. And uh, I'm sure a, a few of our, our American listeners know who you are, but uh, perhaps you're not uh, as uh, well-known in the squash circles uh, outside of North America. But uh, we'll, people will get to know you hopefully after today. Uh, now, your road to the, uh, the Pyeongchang Olympics in Korea was a, an incredible one. Uh, Let's start from the beginning. Uh, how did you? Uh, how did this be, uh, become a vision of yours? Uh, cross-country uh, skiing in the Olympics. Yeah, I think it goes back years back. Uh, I moved to Salt Lake City in two thousand one, uh, right before the two thousand two Olympics here. So when I arrived here, I wanted to learn English uh, to kind of go come to the U.S. and see if I wanted to live here. And then, uh, well, I mean, there was, that was one year before the Olympics, so everybody was talking about it. So I got into that winter Olympic exposure. I ended up working for Eurosport here. I was one of the guides for a camera crew. Okay. Uh, that was a good deal for them because I knew the city. I, spoke, I speak French and I speak Spanish. So it was helpful for them and I spoke English too. So... Um, I end up working the whole month here, so of course, uh, hanging out with uh, with Eurosport, I went to cross country events, to skeleton events, you name it, to every single event that I wanted. And actually, I interviewed some guys from small countries. I used to interview the Luge guys from Venezuela, for instance, that I remember. Okay. So kind of, I got also exposed to the small countries participating in the Winter Olympics, and all my life I've been. Dream. I've been a guy very involved with sports, uh, different sports. I never got to a professional level in any of them, but I've been like a, 
like an athlete, uh, like an amateur athlete in different areas. So for me, it was like a dream come true just to be involved in that event. So that was back in 2002, Olympics were over. Then I said, well, what if I do a run for 2006? That was kind of my thought. I remember having, having dinner at my uncle's house here I, and I told him, hey, my uncle is Rick. Hey, Rick, I'm going to make it for 2006. I mean, he kind of laughed at me in a good way, you know? Right. Saying, hey, go for it, Sebastian. But well, kind of a little bit skeptical, right? And did you have any uh, background in cross-country skiing before then? No, I, I, back then I was, I mean, I live here. So before that, not at all. I have skied alpine skiing before, right? Uh, but I don't have any background. So, so, but I, I actually didn't think about, about uh, cross country. I really liked skeleton and actually I did skeleton for some years. Okay. Uh, but, but uh, cross country was one of those sports where you would see small countries. And uh, it was one of those sports where I learned that you could pick them up even if you were an adult. Yeah, so actually it required a little research. I mean, skeleton was another sport. Crazy enough, you think skeleton is, uh, you are going down 80 miles and it's, it's, it's the one sport where actually a lot of athletes pick them up, uh, not necessarily when they are kids. Uh, different than luge. Luge, they all are start when they are really young because it's really difficult. So skeleton has a, uh, had also an option. So I, I looked at that and I said, well, I mean, uh, I would have to set up uh, federations with Colombia because it didn't exist and I would have to kind of organize things. So let's say that back in 2002, it, it, uh, I didn't start working in the sport world towards that goal, but it got into my mind. Right, right. Saying this would be so cool. Then things happened. I mean, good things happened. I got married. I, I, got, I have four kids. We uh, started a company that we currently own with my wife, and it's a language center here in Salt Lake. So one thing comes to another one, and things kind of deviated me from that object. 2010 went by. I, uh, 2014 in Sochi, what happened is I wasn't, I don't go as an athlete, but I was invited by Colombia as a representative because we were trying to see what can we do for 2018. So I went there and then I spent a week there and that's where I said, I'm getting old. Um, I mean, for an athlete, right? I mean, I'm 42 today. So I was 38. I, it's still a crazy, now it's even more crazier than when I was, uh, in 2002, I was what? I was uh, 27. So now it's really crazy, you know, thinking about being 38 with a family with so many responsibilities. But I came back, I, I talked to my wife and, I, and she told me, you're still with that crazy, crazy thing. Uh, it took like a, a couple of years to really commit. And then uh, really two and a half years ago, back in 2016 is when I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a run for, for the Olympics. Gonna go for it. Yeah. I'm going to go for it. I still, I know I have, it's not that I'm going to retire from my job because I need to provide for my family, right. but I'm going to make it happen. So I found a coach who was a, US, a, a former U.S. biathlon athlete. I, I, I was in the right city. Um, other guys from small countries don't live in a city with snow. So actually, they have to plan in traveling to Canada or to U.S. or Europe. So in my case, well... Circumstances I, were, were fitting you well then. I would say, yeah, the circumstances were fitting well. My job at the same time, owning a business, is flexible. So if I need to travel, I can travel. If I need to get off my job at 3 p.m., I don't need to ask anybody. So that was also another circumstance that, that was good. Well, and I started training. Uh, first day, I really got serious in, with the skis. Uh, I, I have a little anecdote that I went with my uh, fur. I was, I've been kind of working out all the summer in different dryland stuff. But first day in snow, I went to to park city and then i put my skis on i was with my son and then when my son saw me the first 50 meters he told me that you got a long way to go <laughs> so, yeah, he yeah. was very honest which yeah. was good i mean today is great for me to my son was there so we're gonna talk about maybe you can talk about oh, absolutely yeah i mean yeah, uh, for him for him to him back in there from the beginning and give you uh, some sort of motivation and then to have been there in, uh, in Korea with you uh, when you were uh, at the opening ceremonies. I mean, that must have been incredible, yeah. not only for, for you, but for, for the whole family. 
Yeah, and, for, and, and then for a lot of people, that's where, where I got really, really amazed about how many people were so encouraged by seeing me because they saw like a 40 years, 42 years old guy who used to be their friend or who used to be their coworker, and now what is he, that guy doing in the Olympics? So that was kind of a good story, an inspiring story. But going back to this, so yeah, I put a plan uh, two and a half years ago, and um, then uh, my first official race was exactly a year ago. I went uh, to North to Finland to test myself. Uh, didn't go as planned. I realized, well, this is this is uh, racing is different than training, as as you know, as an athlete. Yeah. I mean, one thing is to 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 play squash uh, for in a training, and then you get to a game, and things don't go as planned, right? Exactly. So uh, learning, with learning experience. It was a learning experience. Um, then I came back knowing, okay, I got to, uh, an interesting summer where I need to really get ready. And then it was a short, a short winter, November, December, where I figured out, okay, I need to do this. I went to a race in, in uh, West Yellowstone. It went better, not where I needed. So you, you had to basically, you, you're trying to get yourself to the point where you could qualify for the Olympics, right? There were two, two issues to qualify. One is you, there is a criteria to qualify in cross-country for the first athlete of a country. Okay. So there is the A criteria, which is the, the, you got to be top 300 in the world. So talking about squash is like being a pro, right? Right. right. So, but what they have in the Olympics, they have a B criteria, which is the way I would describe it in squash level is, okay, you got to be a 5-0 a player. 5-0 player. Okay. That, that would be a good way to, so you, we understand you are not a pro, but you got to be a, a, a decent player, right? Right. So not impossible, not easy to, to, to do it in two years. I think comparing to squash is very, is very close. It's if someone with a little bit of background in tennis comes to you and tells you, hey, can you, can you make me a 5-0 player in two years? I think it's doable, right? Doable, yeah. yeah with a, very with doable. a hard work, yeah. With the hard work, exactly. So, so my point was, I wasn't going for, I was going for a hard thing to do to accomplish, but it was doable. So, in November, I went to another race in West Yellowstone. Then, uh, I went to a very a, a good race in that we that uh, Colombia organized in roller ski. Roller ski counts as a qualifying event for Winter Olympics. Okay. Believe it or not. Yeah. So I went to a race there with seven countries. Um, uh, and I did okay, and I still needed points. Then is when I decided, I looked at a series of races in Turkey over Christmas. And, uh, well, I, I, it was tough because my girl, my twin girls, her birthday was on December 22nd, so I would miss that, and I would miss Christmas. But I had the feeling that that was a good race. Yeah. Reason why is because there were three races in a row in the same course. Okay, okay. Usually you go to one course, you practice, you race, and you're gone. And then you got regrets, I should have done better here, there. I felt that, well, here I'm going to do it again three times, two more times. Right. And uh, be familiar with it and uh, your your, your results will improve, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what happened. The first day didn't go too well. The third day, uh, by the second day, went better. And the third day, I got the points I needed. So at that point, I was eligible for Olympics. What I, the reason why I'm saying I was eligible is that st- I still had to be the number one in Colombia. And there were two or three more guys kind of fighting for those spots. Okay. So it doesn't mean though, if those guys would, even if I was eligible, if one of the other guys would be eligible to and had better points, well, they might send that guy. So, but at that point, that was end of December, I realized that uh, I had a, big, a pretty big shot because the other guys were, in, were in where I was. Then 10 days after the whole thing was clear that I was the only one. So by January 10th, uh, Colombia announced all the media outlets that I was I was qualified and kind of how you say in English the cat get got out of the, the, the cat bag. Got out of the bag. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting that. I was just trying to relax here in January and yeah. kind of kind of understanding what was happening, and then it got. So what was it like at the Uparimi household when that news uh, when the cat got out of the bag? It it was a process because <laughs> my 
for my wife from understanding that this was a crazy dream that she was saying, well, yeah, go for it. Kind of thinking, well, this, this guy is crazy. At least he needs to try, right? <laughs> yeah. To yeah. actually realizing, wow, now he qualified. And then for us, the Olympics is easy to understand how important are because right. we dream about it. My wife, yeah, she was involved, but it took her some days to realize that this was the biggest event that you can ever imagine. So probably took, uh, her, took her a while to process it, you know? Yeah, and one day she got home and then from not being overly excited or not showing that, one day she got like, that was like uh, January 20th when everything was talking about on Facebook and everywhere, my friends and my neighbors. Uh, my, like to give an example, my neighbors did a WhatsApp group about this happening. Okay. It was such a big deal because it was their neighbor. It wasn't like a elite athlete. It was the guy they see every day in the day to day dropping right. the The guy they stuff. see taking out the garbage every, every morning. Exactly. That's a good way to describe it. So at some point, um, one day my wife got home and then she told me, no, she got to the office. She told me, okay, Sebastian, we're all going. This is crazy. <laughs> so at that point, from. So she was the, all in. Yeah, and we have four kids. Yeah. So I end up, it was funny because I think I end up with an entourage of maybe 10 people, which was my four kids, my wife, my mom, my brother who lives in Munich. And he's all, he also plays squash for, 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 for fun. He ended up there, my uncles. So it was like a lot of people that got so excited for the story. And then um, media got crazy, both local and in Colombia. And... Uh, uh, so I had to sit down for a little bit myself, actually, and understand that, wow, this is not big for only for me, because at the beginning, it was, it was big for me, right? It was, yeah. I, it's a dream that I have. But then I understood that it was something like a dream that a lot of people has, and that for them, knowing that they know someone who actually uh, had the the situation and had the willing to do it was it was great to see all that support uh like you said she was all in and uh oh yeah he was uh, she was she was absolutely all in my kids i think would only talk about that in the school uh, i had to go and do some talks to of course to my kids school because they were so excited to have an olympian that was going to pyeongchang uh i get to my kids school and a lot of, i mean it's kind of i mean a lot of people tell me well how did you how did you do so they tell me well we know you you know us but we know you i mean it's kind of it was <laughs> such a use uh locally and in colombia too um that uh it was very very humbling in a way how important for our people these kind of things are and and for me personally it was kind of a dream come true and and talk a little bit about uh, the pyeongchang experience itself uh for for you and, and the family how how was uh how was the Olympic experience? I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of unreal. Uh, I would have to pinch myself here and there saying, man, I'm having just breakfast and next to me, they're the best, uh, the best biathlon skier in the world or the best. Uh, I mean, it's, it, that, was, that part of the experience was absolutely great. Yeah. To be able to, to, I remember the first day I went to practice and then realizing I was practicing in the biggest stage in the Thanks. world in course yeah. uh in the course that i that that, that that so out of the bubble which the where the family is is not easy because right. uh these olympics were done not in seoul but in pyeongchang and gangnam which was the city the, the coastal city yeah. small cities no english korean culture is difficult in a way to understand mm. uh lodging was very limited so uh I think uh, my wife told me, look, you don't worry about, about us. We're going to see you every two or three days because I wasn't staying with them. And you don't, you, you don't worry. So she did a great job on that saying, don't worry about our logistics. We are 10. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So it happened that way. It was difficult for me to still, of course, you think about them and you try to help them the more you can and the tickets for them for events and stuff. So it was a bit stressful and uh, all the way to the opening ceremony and my race was one week after the opening ceremony, which was good. But all that first week was really stressful. Between media interviews, also 
getting ready for the race because even though I, I don't have expectations to win, of course, or to be even in the top 100, uh, I mean, you got to get ready for the race. So um, I guess, I, guess so, I mean, you put yourself in this uh, unique situation and not having uh, ever experienced anything quite like it, that, that would have been a new experience for you in and of itself, just the, the whole uh, spotlight uh, type of thing. Yeah, let's say, let's put it this way. I, I tried to get it into squash. So let's say it, <clears throat> I went from a little regional tournament with 10 guys watching you, right? In a, in a, little, in, in a little squash place in Salt Lake, in squash work in Salt Lake City, let's put it that way. I went from that tournament where it's the same guys that you already see and maybe two more, right? Two, uh, let's say what's the maybe not in, maybe the New York Open or you know or yeah the, Brit or the, the, the British Open, the British Open uh, in maybe yeah I mean with that glass court I mean that was the difference that I went from one I don't have a progression into that yeah exactly so, so yeah I remember I think I sent you a couple of pictures of that I mean did, where yeah. I was, yeah where you were seen I mean just keen in front of ten thousand people plus how many millions watching um and it was stressful knowing what to do it was you are you might be used to that but um i mean just knowing where to walk when you got to be ready when to walk when to get down to the starting area it was it was a lot of stress so um then the race happened um uh, the way they had it program programmed in the olympics is at some point they start going down in ranking so we were 115 racers so so that meant that uh, actually the last 30 were starting to be the small countries which was good for us because it was kind of our opportunity to to shine right um because i mean between the level of um of cologne who won and our level it's, it's what i said is between a pro player and a 5-0 player it's uh they can beat you 15-0-15-0-15-0 they won right i remember i remember i played one game with one pro player and then he told me okay when back in the days when you would play to 11 i think yeah but the only your serve right so he told me okay we are we are 10 zero and you serve and i said okay i'm gonna get and he got me 12 10. <laughs> yeah I re that day he he, he re i don't remember his name he's a danish guy danish guy he told me i realized i mean that was the first time because i i've, I've played with pro players just for kind of in training mood right right but that day that he really, I realized, I mean, this is absolutely a totally different world. I, yeah. I couldn't get it back, the serve. And it was that, or I, I would get it back, and then the next point, the next ball was impossible. So anyway, so in this case, it was, uh, so we had our time at the end. And, uh, well, I mean, so it was great to, because at the end, you create a friendship with some of the small countries, especially some of them. So we were out at the same time in that such a big stage. So uh, that so was... Enjoy, you, you enjoyed it with uh, guys that were at your level, basically. At the end, uh, yeah. yeah, well, the course was done in a way where you would see, you would kind of ski the same areas, but at the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it was pretty much, yeah, the last, yeah, the, the guys at our level. And, and uh, I think everybody appreciated that in that, in that race is that okay this is this is what the olympic spirit is about it's about uh if you want to see the best players in the world well you can go to a world cup right or to a skiing world cup or to the british open in the olympics that's the place where you can also see uh different stories stories like mine where yeah i'm a full-time athlete i'm just more the part-time athlete uh, over 40 that with a dream. Yeah, and then, uh, and of course, uh, linking this with squash, I mean, and since I was actively an active player for, for, for several years, knowing that, uh, knowing some squash player, pro players, knowing that they don't have that chance in squash is very unfortunate. Yeah, well, uh, well that, that, that brings me, uh, I mean, your, your Olympic journey is incredible, but I think you're, you're obviously your, your squash playing days were, were quite... Uh, impressive in the same vein as well because you didn't have much of a squash background as a young young guy i don't think growing up i, got a, I play a lot of tennis so that helped a lot even yeah. though even though for the first six months i remember my, some of the pro players here at squash world or jared for instance they would see me with my two hand two hand back <laughs> back 
And it took me a while to, to take my second hand off, to put an example. But uh, I right. did have some racket skills, but uh, I started as a, maybe a 3-0 player, 2-5 player. Right, right. So how, how did you get your start in, in squash? Uh, obviously, you, you came from tennis, so perhaps you, uh, you saw squash and uh, you thought it was interesting and you'd give it a try. Is that... Uh... Yeah, I mean, as, as uh, Colombia, as you know, Colombia is, is, is fairly, fairly big in squash in the way that uh, yeah. usually our tennis courts or squash courts. I mean, Colombia is not act like those countries where they have no idea what squash is. Actually, it's a sport. It's a, it's a popular sport. Well, there's, some, there's some good uh, Colombian players out there right now, including yeah. uh, uh, one in the top, uh, I think he's in top 15, Miguel Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And very you, impressive. I gather you... Uh, you had a friendship or perhaps a mentor in uh, Bernardo uh, Samper, former top 50 player. Uh, yeah, actually, we show. met. It was an interesting story because we met. Um, we didn't meet in Colombia. He's a bit, uh, he's younger than me, maybe probably five years. So when you are a teenager, that's too much, right? Yeah. But it was interesting. But he came to a tournament here in Salt Lake when, when, he, was, when he, he was kind of in, 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 in the tour. <laughs> okay. And then... Uh, and when he came, so I, I think I, I contacted him and said, well, you can stay with me. You know how the, the, the squash tour right. goes, so you yeah. can stay with me and Colombian. Then the funny thing is that he ended up being, my wife is Colombian, and her, my brother-in-law went to school with him. Oh, okay. Small and world. Then, yeah, but and then there is a funny story about, about him here is that... Uh, one of my, this is a very it gets even smaller world. So that's why one contacts so was okay, yeah, you know Alejandro. They can they were good, super friends, but they went to the same school. I don't know to the same class. But then one of my employees here, he's Colombian. Then I invited him to a tournament, and he showed up there. And then he told me, well, I know, I know Bernardo. He was my student when I was an English teacher in Colombia. <laughs> so, wow. That was really small world. But beyond that, then Bernardo came to me and, and actually uh, my brother-in-law came to me and Ber but Bernardo told me, look, when I saw him, he was one of the guys that I behaved so bad when I was in school. I think he, he, he didn't like me at all. And then see him here, it was kind of interesting. So... Um, well, I mean, that was kind of a, a story. So, well, I mean, with Bernardo, after he came here, uh, he actually, we did another, uh, he came to a second tournament and actually we did, um, uh, we then we did like a, a weekend extravaganza here at Squashworld where we invited him, another player, a pro player, and they just did an exhibition game that was kind of organized by me and uh, Craig, the owner of Squashworld. So, and after that, actually, and actually, he knew my crazy dream about the Olympics because we talk about it. Right. So he was, not too many people knew about that. It wasn't something that I was just telling everybody, right? So but, this was at the time when you were considering doing the cross-country skiing or getting involved in that, was it? And that was before. I mean, that wasn't when I, I met him, maybe 2009. So I have already been a squash player for, for six, six years at that point. Uh, but uh, that was when I, I was still thinking, Bernardo, you know what? I, at that point, I was, I was doing skeleton for some okay. for a couple. Yeah. I mean, it would be fun to have a pro squash player figure out a way to go to the Olympics. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. There was pro I mean, squash in the Olympics has been a hot-button uh, issue for a long, long time. Right. Yeah. So but, yeah. that was part of the conversation we had because since, I mean, I've been kind of involved with Colombia. With Colombia, we've been, we've been with Colombia Olympic Committee since back in 2010 or before because I have some contacts. And one of the talks was, how can we encourage uh, guys who are, professionals in a sport to that cannot go to Olympic like squash like uh, roller uh, roller skating for instance in Colombia yeah uh, that, and then for instance roller skating what they did end up doing is they transitioned into ice and two of the guys made it to Olympics so but that was more sport related but so I remember I kind of have some small conversations with Bernardo saying how cool it would it be for that you that you figure out a way to be in a squash pro, make it to Olympics, not in squash, but in winter is an option. You right. being 
So we had the discussions and here and there, and he knew that I would eventually try to, to do it. And actually we talked uh, earlier this week, we had to do like a post-Olympic conversation, but. Uh, so he, he had an influence on you uh, deciding to pursue your, your uh, Olympic dream. Yeah, so he told, well, he told me, look, I mean, it's a dream for, for all of us, including me, that I know I don't have that chance. I know I, I, I was number one for Colombia for X amount of years. And unfortunately, I don't have this chance. So, uh, I mean, so he's one of the guys who was really excited. And, and actually, we need to do like a, a good talk. He wants to know all the details and everything about. So, uh, so I think we, we, we became friends after that. And it's not that we, I mean, I haven't seen him for maybe a couple of years or three years. He lives in New York area. Right. But, uh, but for me, it's been great to, I mean, I always like to be around athletes and being a squash player for me. I mean, seeing him at that amazing level is always amazing. Uh, so uh, it's been good to have him around. Yes. Now you uh, you worked. You said you worked for uh, Squash Works in Salt Lake City. Now for a lot of people, they might not know uh, what Squash Works is. I, I've heard of it before, but I'm not even uh, exactly sure uh, what the uh, what the business uh, involves. What is uh, Squash Work in terms of uh, what was it in terms of squash in uh, Salt Lake City? Yeah, I didn't work for them. I just was, that was my club. And then I was okay. pretty involved. It's a squash club, is it? Uh... It's a squash club, okay. uh, which is pretty unique because, I mean, in a small cities in the U.S., there are not that many squash clubs, especially in the West, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like uh, there is much more racquetball. So uh, I think it was opened back in probably a couple of years before I started uh, skiing, uh, skiing uh, playing squash. And then... Uh, so it's a small, it's a small operation, six courts, but they were done with international standards. So it's not a racquetball converted into squash. It's just a squash place. Uh, the, uh, squash owner, is like a franchise, is it? Uh, there are several around the country. As, are they? I'm not, I'm not sure about it, but uh, you might be right. I thought there were a few... But maybe I'm wrong. I, I could be wrong on that one. Not, I'm not sure about it. I, I, I always thought the name was great. If I, I think yeah, it's their name. It's a great name. I, thought, I think their name was, uh, you know, I am not sure about it. Uh, but I thought it was the only one. But okay. it's a small operation with not that many members. Um, the Craig, uh, Craig Bennett, the owner, is, uh, I mean, it's, he's a squash, uh, passionate uh, his son and his dad used to be. So it was kind of a family affair there. Okay. So um, really cool place, uh, right in a good area of Salt Lake. For me, it was always in my area. Uh, so it was easy to go and play. And that's, and, where, you, uh, that's where you met Jared uh, Sandler, right? And Jared Sandler was one of the pros there. So uh, yeah, back in the days, there were two or three squash pros. And that's where I met Jared. Uh, uh, crazy good guy, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he would be, yeah, I mean, so you, you would, I remember the first time I signed up because my, my uncle Rick here, he, he, he used to play squash for, I mean, so one day he told me, oh, well, Sebastian, come and play squash. That was back in around the same year as 2001, 2000, 2001, probably when I arrived here. So I said, okay, let's give it a try. And then after one week I got hooked and I said, well, I mean, I, I really want to get good in this sport. Yeah. I like it. And so and Jared was part of that because, I mean, he was such an exuberant guy there. And then, uh, I mean, he was uh, so excited about everything related to squash. Yeah. So uh, that's where my kind of squash story started. And then, uh, well, I ended up playing a good amount of time, three, four times a week for all the way to 2011, where I kind of decided that I wanted to do, I needed to choose. So if I wanted to go for the winter sports, I started with skeleton, then moved to cross country. But so kind of I stopped playing. But uh, I, I'll, I'll go back. I actually went this week uh, to, to say hi, and they were super excited about also the Olympics and stuff. And uh, I think I'll go back now that I decompressing. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, for, for all those years, that was uh, probably my main sport. And, uh, yeah, well, uh, I, mean, you are, I mean, you must, you obviously reached a reasonably good level. Uh, uh, I noticed you played a few pro events, and um, your game by a couple of people uh, that I've done my research, they, they say you were, you, you were a model of consistency. Uh, you, played a, you played a smart game and, you, and your fitness took you, uh, uh, did, 
uh, took you to a lot of wins. So is that how you'd, you'd describe your squash game? Consistency, yeah. uh, smart, yeah. and uh, fit? And, and lefty. Lefty, ah, yeah. yes. I think squash is one of, I mean, I, and that comes from tennis also, but when it's squash, I mean, they play so much, so much to your forehand and they keep playing it knowing that even though it's your is your is your good shot right but yeah. so so uh so be i was i'm a total lefty um yeah fast i'm i mean i'm i, I weigh 145 so it's kind of that those pretty low seconds. center of gravity yeah so those kind of fast players and very passionate tools which sometimes is not that good but but uh you got a lot and, of uh, balls back i would imagine yeah exactly and uh yeah that kind of player and uh as you get good in squash then it, it, it squash is a game whereas i believe as you get good it's so much more fun well how how did i mean uh for for having you know you had a little bit of a tennis background like you said but uh Obviously, you've reached a pretty decent level in a short period of time. Uh, for, for people out there who are looking for ways to improve their games, uh, how did you improve your game uh, at, uh, at that speed or at, uh, uh, in such a short period of time? It took, it took some years, no? but, uh, but still, and I probably got to, yeah, to probably a 5-0 level. So I never played pro, but I played good amateur tournaments. Yeah, um, but uh, uh, you played in qualifying uh, uh, pro events, though, didn't you? Yeah, I, I played one qualifying. I was, I was, uh, I was invited to that one. Okay. Uh, so that was kind of a one one shot experience. That was my, my Olympics in squash, right? Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of that was my okay. And then, uh, but the, I played with a Mexican guy, I think. And uh, so uh, I, I think. Uh, I think, uh, like everything, it takes it takes effort. I remember I would go and spend. Squash has an advantage; you can train a lot by yourself, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tennis, you need well, you need a ball machine and this and that. Um, squash is a sport where you yeah, can do something. You, you could do ghosting on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Even in, exactly. <laughs> and if you are in those. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't do that, but I should have. But um, but just in the squash court, you can get half hour before you have a game, you get 45 minutes before and you have, can have a routine of, of, uh, of uh, drills, right? And yeah. I think that helps so much to get good just doing drills by yourself or, and having fun in the court too by yourself, just trying to do volleys and stuff. So I think I did a lot of things on my own because I just liked it and I wanted to get better. Um, then uh, we got a good group of probably... Yeah, four or five. There weren't that many. That was one of the things that we run in Salt Lake is that it's not like other bigger cities or with more squash tradition where you have four or five clubs so you can have a lot of variety of players playing all the time and tournaments. Here it's squash works and that's it. Right. So that becomes that you end up playing with the four or five players. But what helped me for to get to, to a higher level was that I had four, I have maybe five to ten players that were better than me. Right, right. And I would try to play with them. At the end, I was already in the, in, 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 I was one of the good ones. So at that point, there were, a, there were some young kids that became really good. But at some point, uh, I think I got a little bit stagnant because I don't have a player that would really kill me at the end. Right. Around. And I think you need that. Yeah, you and need you need that to for sure. Yeah. And you try to play with those guys. And because that's where you say, wow, yeah, this is another one. But in my initial years to get to, to that level, to the 5-0 level that I, I probably got, it was, okay, uh, I had a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of guys, including Jared, for instance. That, uh, Jared says that, yeah, he, he, he used to kill me. And then when he came back years after, uh, he was not in such a good shape. And he was amazed. Wow, this guy is really new. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I think now, having I've heard about uh, this, uh, there's this legend of the midnight match uh, at the Wyoming State Open. Uh, well, there's a yeah. legend of Sebastian Uprimi in the squash world, uh, believe it or not. The midnight match at the Wyoming State Open. Um, what happened here, uh, uh, Sebastian? Take us through the, the, the details of the, the midnight uh, match. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So that was a <laughs> tournament organized in Casper, Wyoming. So if you're not familiar with the, with the states. They're, mo they're mostly uh, hunting and fishing up there, aren't they? Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And then Salt Lake is already remote for some people. That was like five hours driving from here to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay. So I said, then Jared got all excited and he told me, let's go to that tournament. The guys are great. And it seems like to be a fun tournament, the Wyoming Open. I said, well, let's go. So we went there. Then we got there and we, get, we got to a house, like a farm. I said, well, this is interesting. Okay, here, here we are. Then, yeah, what happened is um, the guy there, and uh, I forgot his name, uh, Mortner or, well, too bad. Anyway, I haven't seen him for. So he had a farm and hen, and he's a, he was an amazing squash player, and he just built a squash court kind of next to his living, to his living room. Okay. So pretty cool setting. So you would have, and so you would get there. It was a regular house. That was the Wyoming Open. There were a bunch of guys, all friends. Yeah. And uh, having a good time, drinking lots of beer and everything. <laughs> and then, so it wasn't like a very, actually, I think they were counting the beers. They okay. were like, okay, I got 15 beers. And I said, okay, I'm going to play with one of those guys. I might beat him. But <laughs> I was young and I, and then, uh, and the guy decided to do a squash court right in his house. So actually it was funny because where we were sleeping, uh, it was like a bunk bed guest room and it had some little windows where you could look at the squash court. Okay. <laughs> so kind of wow. like, a, I mean, it was a great setting too for, so I you, think it was like, you could go back to your room and watch, uh, your neck, the, your opponent playing from, uh, from your bed. Your bed. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> And then, well, yeah, the, so we got there on the schedule. It wasn't like a regular tournament with a schedule. It was, okay, we, we, we're going to play later today. So, okay, so they got the draw and all that. And, yeah, my game, I think Jerry has a good memory. It was somewhere like 12.30 or 1 a.m. So, okay, you are scheduled at 1, so have some beers or do whatever you want. And then it was one court. And then uh, uh, it was, I mean, that was a unique, unique tournament. Um, then so the Wyoming stayed open on a, some guy's farm with the squash yeah. court in his house. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, yeah, the guy would tell you, well, what do you want to do tomorrow? We can just go and, and, and kind of hurt some sheep. And I show you what I do in general with the sheep. The guy was in really good shape. Imagine that carry, yeah. I mean, carrying off for 200 sheep or whatever. So, um, so uh, the, the interesting thing is that that guy, uh, there were two or three guys, and there was some guys from Denver because that was in between, it was kind of four hours from Denver too, where there are some good players. The, guy, the guys that were drinking so many beers, they got, they killed us, including Jared. <laughs> I got yeah. to say, they killed us. I mean, I was, it was such a high level for, and they were, Back then, I was in my late 20s or mid-20s, so those guys were already like 40. Yeah. And, but I mean, you know, in squash, I mean, you can be so good at, at, at many ages, but so the level was amazingly high, and for, for especially for three or four guys. And so the Open was that. I mean, you would stay in their home. and Was, that, was his name uh, Scott Mortimer? Yeah. He okay. was the... Scott he Mortimer, was, right. He was a lefty yeah. too. He's a lefty too, but like I don't remember because he was so good that, that it didn't matter. So right, right. Uh, he was Scott and some friends, but that was the guy. I think he moved then after that, he moved to Denver. But uh, back in those days, that was probably 2003, 2004. He had that in, at his house. So it was a long winter, but uh, he has his squash court at his home. So it was, it was so good that we came back for fun like a month after. with oh, really? Yeah, uh, what a great experience that is, yeah. Yeah, so more than any other tournament, that's the one we I, I really cherish. Yeah, I'd love to play that one. I'd love to play. With, maybe maybe yeah. you maybe you can make a return to squash. You, me, and Jared uh, can uh, play in the 2019 uh, Wyoming State Open. Yeah, yeah, we got to 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 reach out to Scott and ask him when he's gonna do the next one. Yeah. Um, now you're, you mentioned your uncle earlier and I'm not sure if it's the same uncle or your uncle Rick, is he, uh, he sort of, uh, helped fuel your, your squash, uh, game a, a little bit, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. First, he was kind of my mentor here in Salt Lake because I lived with him and my and he and, and my aunt uh, Pinky. So uh, they were the reason why I came here. So that's kind of part of my personal story. And I came for six months, and I well, it's been already eighteen years. So so or six seventeen years. So so they were very very close to me. And be and beyond that, I mean, he was just the typical fifty fifty ish squash player that play once a week right with a three all level but he's the one who told me Sebastian come and play there's a cool place near our home and since I knew squash so I would say he was he's the one who put me there and then once I got there it was I end up I end up on my own yourself uh, yeah yeah but I think he 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 just uh <laughs> the funny thing is that I think the first day I went I was with my tennis towel and he did me actually so uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, the tennis style. Uh, it's tough to get balls out of the, the corners with that, uh, with, uh, especially on the backhand. Oh, uh, the two-hand doesn't work, as no. you know. And then learning to give space to the ball. Yeah. It's, it's a whole challenge. Learning that getting close is not the way to go. If you could only volley everything, then that'd be uh, perfect. Yeah, exactly. In the ideal world, but yeah, but as you know, it yeah. doesn't happen like that. And then, so... So, yeah, I mean, it took me, I would say it took me a while to, I, today I can't believe that I was still putting my second hand in the, in the racket. But, uh, of course, I, it was in my, in my brain for so many years. So, well, there, um, there were a few there, sort of uh, exceptions to that rule that made it, uh, one being Victor Berg. He sort of had a two-handed, uh, you might know Victor. He had a two-handed backhand in a way, and then Peter Marshall. He had a real, a real two-handed backhand, but uh, not in not in the tennis uh, style, but in in a squash, a squash two-handed backhand. But they're the, they're okay. the only two that I know of. And and my backhand took a while to 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 get to get good. I think I struggle a lot, not only with the two-hand, but then. Uh, being lefty, your forehand tends to become so dominant. Yeah. And still in my game today. Uh, you still I, play squash today, uh, Sebastian? No, I, have, I, haven't, I haven't come back, but I think I'm ready to, to, to probably come back now that yeah. I got my Olympic uh, dream completed and I might have some time. And it's re- literally one block from my, from my office, so I should. Well, what about, I, uh, do you have any uh, visions of 2022? Look, uh, they've been asking me that a lot, and uh, yeah, and well, first, I mean, my situation is different, and my my age is, I mean, I'm 42, so I'll be 46. It doesn't mean that I cannot make it. So, one of my objectives in the Olympics was to really create a movement for Winter Olympics in Colombia, yeah. not for yeah. myself, but for the country. And I think I've been closing, uh, working very closely with with the Colombian committee to make that happen in different sports. So. That being said, I live in Salt Lake. I'm still skiing. My son is so into cross country too that he wants to. Now he is obsessed. He wants to make it for 2026. He's 10 oh, years cool. old. Very so good. that's pretty cool because he got the whole experience from the beginning. So I ski with him a lot. So all I know is I'm gonna be a much better skier in four years than what I am today. Yeah. So and, and with uh, with I mean all the all the new training techniques, the dieting. Uh, I mean we're we're younger uh, at our age now. Exactly. So, exactly. So, yeah, they say the 40s is the new, what did they say? The 40s is the new 30? 50s, uh, for me, 50s is the new 30. Well, yeah. So, so if that's the case, so, uh, so anyway, if in three years, uh, uh, I really hope there is a young kid or someone who really is really good and I would support him. So I might go not as an athlete, but Heck, if uh, in three years uh, I'm the best one, why not? It's such a nice experience. That, uh, why not? So I, I'm not saying a lot that. of opportunity out there. I mean, you could head back to uh, to Colombia and as a, as a national team uh, coach and start recruiting. Exactly. So and that's what I've been involved. So so, so I, I'm I, I'll go in 2022 in I don't know uh, uh, doing what, but uh, one of my objective was to really stay involved in the winter in the winter sports so um i don't say no but uh, it's not in my short-term plans but um heck you never know 
such a cool it's such a cool experience that it's hard to say no if you have the opportunity right so so um I don't know if I where, where are the where are the olympics in 2022 do you know uh, in beijing beijing yeah in asia kind of weird. again yeah, okay kind of, weird. kind of strange but that's that's the location they're picking okay well uh, so i mean it's uh Still for years, I'm still decompressing from the experience that I had uh, last month um, and for all the opportunities that uh, that opens. And uh, um, Well, that's for sure. I mean, there are plenty of opportunities there. You could go in a couple of different directions or you could go back to, uh, to playing the game that we, uh, on this podcast, we all love squash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, I think I miss. I can't believe it's been several years that I... I need to go back and 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 and, and play. I and I think I might there's get. A, there's a pretty uh, salt. There's a pretty uh, strong master circuit in the U.S. So you you could go for your age group. Go go for the over yeah. uh, the over forties. I will have. I will have to. Uh, I mean, I've seen the level of those masters, and it's so high. So it's I would have to. High, yeah, yeah. All I the, have all the uh, old boys are still playing. Yeah, it's amazing how how some squash players. Yeah, over 50, over 55, they can still be at such a high level. So it's, it's fun to see that. I like that. Well, Sebastian, uh, really, really enjoyed uh, that conversation. Our, our time's just about up. Um, I just want to wish you all the best. Uh, congratulations on your, uh, your Olympic, uh, uh, getting your Olympic dream to come true in Pyeongchang. Uh, keep, keep up the great work, whether it's uh, with cross-country skiing yourself, uh, developing it in Colombia. Uh, I think it's a great thing and uh, all the best, my friend. Thank you so much for, for the opportunity and uh, it's fun to see to see a podcast about squash, uh, a game we love. So um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. All the best. Okay, bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, that was just an incredible uh, interview with uh, Sebastian Uprimi. What a, an inspirational story that was. Uh, representing Colombia in the Pyeongchang Olympics at the age of 42 and perhaps even uh, making another run for it in uh, four years' time or uh, even at the level of coaching uh, the Colombian uh, cross-country national team. What, what a great story. And then some, uh, <laughs> some pretty cool stories about uh, his squash playing days in the U.S. Thank you very much again, uh, Sebastian, for coming on to uh, the In Squash podcast. And I hope everyone else is uh, enjoying their squash these days. I'm back on the court um, after about two weeks uh, away with a, a bit of a calf injury. But uh, I've managed to uh, to get through uh, the tough times there. And uh, I've been to the gym uh, just about every day and working on it. And uh, back on court last week, and it felt good. And I'll be back again uh, a few more times this week and hopefully... Uh, uh, back to full uh, speed uh, very soon. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and I hope you guys are all uh, uh, playing at full speed as well. And if uh, the next few episodes are any indication, uh, the In Squash uh, podcast will be uh, playing at full speed. We've got some great guests uh, coming up uh, uh, for episodes uh, 17 and 18. So stay tuned for those. And uh, have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening. Good night.